0: This podcast is brought to you by Oak Sound, makers of the Soothe Two and Spiff plugins. Oak Sound, creating innovative mixing and mastering tools for both professionals and enthusiasts. Learn more at
1: oeksound.com. Hey, it's Larry Crane. Welcome to the Tape Op Podcast. Daniel Lenoir. If you have been a fan of music during the past 30 years, you have heard his production work with U2, Bob Dylan, Amy Lou Harris, Willie Nelson, and countless others. In addition to helming these albums, he has had a long and storied solo career, releasing 21 albums since 1998. We've interviewed Daniel several times over the years, and it's always a great conversation, full of insights and pearls of wisdom. Jeff Stanfield caught up with him recently to discuss his latest release, Heavy Sun. Enjoy.
0: Good to chat again. Where do you find yourself these days?
2: I'm in Toronto, in my Toronto studio right now, which is an old Buddhist temple that I acquired 10 years ago when the monks were moving out. You know, with this new release,
0: I love how different it is from the last chunk of records that you've made. I mean, you you had the three records that were really focused around the steel, and then you you did a, and really a fourth one too, but you know, the, the record you did with Phoenician Snares, which was like a really aggressive at times and pretty intense rele- uh, release. And then you've got this record heavy sun which just it just feels like hope so maybe you could just tell me a little bit about the sessions and how the record was put together
2: most of the making of the heavy sun album happened in los angeles in silver lake uh, where i have my studio there and uh, my good mates rocco deluca jim wilson and johnny Shepard join me on this one we all love harmony singing and the coming of Johnny Shepherd from Louisiana who came from church, from a Baptist church. Uh, He brought, he's our hymnologist, so he brought all that uh, that gospel harmony experience with him. And so that was it. Uh, DeLuca and I have always wanted to be in a singing group. And so we thought, well, having just met Johnny, let's strike while the iron's hot. So everybody congregated in, in LA. Bulk of the work was done there. We had a little nice writing group: uh, Rocco Deluca, Johnny Shepard, myself, and then also Jim Wilson on a track called "Power." Um, so that was it. We had a little back patio writing area, and then uh, I was at the console with Wayne Lorenz, my co-producer, and that was it. It was a it had a little bit of of a factory and a little a little workshop, you know, Santo's little helpers and all. <laughs> if anyone should anyone remember the Brill Building, It had a little West Coast Brill Building in it. <laughs> <laughs> nice,
0: yeah. I mean, this record is, you know, you, you, it, it states itself with the opening that this is a very different sort of record um, in terms of you know, the instrumentation. It feels like a gospel record uh, through and through, um, and I know a lot of your records have throughout. From the very beginning um, that element is, has made its way into your music and been an important element of your music but this one it really feels like that and and I was almost thinking that maybe you'd recorded it in New Orleans it just has a it has a very nice swampy feel to it and and it just yeah. kind of drips that southern yeah.
2: that southern feeling well uh, thanks for noticing the uh, the gospel tonalities uh, obviously the uh uh, Johnny, coming from Baptist Church and all, it had that in it naturally. But we wanted to make a record that um, was a spirited record without the obvious places that uh, great, record, great gospel records have gotten to. We didn't want to suddenly be making a gospel record. But we liked the idea that um, we would build a church with no walls and be traveling minstrels and try and bring joy into people's lives. So that's really the message, you know. In fact, there's there's one lyric line that I quite love. uh, um, Spirit rises from the ground, take you to a place where spirit rises from the ground from hurt to glory. I thought, oh, that's really good. Rocco came up with that, from hurt to glory. I thought, how wonderful is that? You know, the, that, uh, and we talk about joy as a place that we get to that is, exists beyond happiness.
0: One of the things I love about this record is that it feels like something that the world needs right now without it being some overt call out politically or overly specific in its messaging. It's it's just it feels like it was the time that people need something, you know, to help them feel a certain way which is not how we've all been feeling for a variety of reasons over the last many years so at least for me it was interesting to take that away from it it was just like man it's just a a record that I've found myself just wanting to put on over and over again and and it was uplifting but also shedding layers of of heaviness you know like heavy blankets Mm. being pulled off
2: well the record does have congregation in it And it talks about uh, imaginary places where, you know, there's a a track called Way Down, there's a city on the other side, an imaginary place that we would get to where we could shed some of the usual problems of already existing skins. Um, Under the Heavy Sun talks about uh, knowing a place, uh, again, you know, to reference uh, From Hurt to Glory, uh, a place that we will get to some imaginary nightclub in outer space where we get to hang hang our egos at the door <laughs> and come in and have a good time. Um, in regards to um, any heartwarming aspect of this record, really just came, came our way by congregation. You know, we put a group of four of us together from different walks of life, and we were reminded about uh, all denominations. And it, that's a nice term to use when you're Try to pull people together, uh, that's what people like to do you know we we are social animals that's why we go to concerts and baseball games and so on so a lot of that's been taken away from us with the coming of the pandemic, but this record uh, I think resonates that way that it has something in it that causes people to think about congregation. harmony singing has that in it naturally you know we don't have a lot of not necessarily stepping out to the front of the stage we tried four-part harmony in most places
0: i thought it was really interesting how you mix this record you know i'd throw it on on, on the you know in the kitchen or in the stereo and you know had it on in the house but then i threw it on in headphones to dig in a little bit deeper and to your point there's no traditional center vocal (laughs) you know i i thought it was an interesting choice to mix pan the vocals the way you did
2: yeah we did uh a lot of the singing happened uh, right right in the control room four of us singing together each each one of us on a sure mic, and uh, uh it just has, you know, we we would record a stanza, play it back, and and adjust our harmonies according to the playback. So it had that a, a very, it was done quite swiftly in terms of the, vo- the the singing, and I think there's something about it that that rings true um, with listeners. You know, they really sense that there's people there. It's not you know the most technically perfect record because there's all kind of little clicks and pops and this sort of thing. Because I didn't want to get I didn't want to be putting people behind glass, you know. So, uh, you can hear me doing my punches here and there, a little clickety news, but that's okay. Oh, yeah. I mind <laughs> the vibe is good and the bottom is deep, the grooves are nice. I'm very happy to be associated with these yeah. these people. You know, uh, yeah, I'm very proud of this record.
0: Was there ever a time where the the technical aspects, you know, for you had to be perfect? And you know, is that has that been an evolution, or has that always been? part of it for you that you've been willing to roll with the, the technical imperfections well you
2: know, it's technically perfect where we have uh, uh, metronomic time so let's talk about grooves and time in regards to perfection wayne lorenz and i go go to uh, uh, go the extra mile and making sure that all all the uh, the best bars are featured from the drums and we've got this little technique going that allows us to you know, borrow a bar from a, a glorious moment, and and go over one that's not so great, and so on. So we put a lot of time into the grooves, as we can hear in um, in "Power," for example, and then another track called uh, "Every Nation." Here, quite quite strong drumming uh, from Brian Blade and from Kyle Crane. So the the uh, it's not sloppy in any way in that department. Any sloppiness that I'm referencing would be me punching the vocals in and out and not getting it quite right
0: (laughs) I I was more referring to working on so or or you know a a U2 record or one of these other records where maybe there was some sort of pressure to not have those you know punches heard Mm. or things like that I I think it's a an important thing to point out especially for for other producers or, or engineers that are learning, maybe just starting or have been doing it for a long time that it's still okay to release something that has where you can hear somebody doing the punch or the punch isn't quite perfect because of all the Mm -hmm. other things that superseded in terms of its, you know, human content and groove and and all those things. Well, I'm
2: glad you mentioned the human content because I think people respond to that stuff. Um, If we're lucky enough to stumble upon uh, a magic moment, then, you know, we, we try and keep that alive, and even if it has a little technical imperfection in it, you know, if somebody hits a beautiful note, well, maybe it would sound better on another mic, or this and that and the other thing, but if we if we uh, find ourselves in the presence of a bit of magic, then we, we thank our lucky stars, and off we go. We just keep going with it.
0: <laughs> Last time we talked, you mentioned that you probably didn't see yourself Jumping into the, the role of the producer for a big artist, or, you know, and, and it seems like you've just been focused more on your records and and, and continuing to have output in that regard and, and your community, working with your friends and, and musical
2: compatriots. Well, it's true in the sense that, in regards to Heavy Sun, you know, it's, it's a sign from Johnny Shepard uh, transplanting uh, from Louisiana to LA. Those were my mates in Los Angeles, and I decided to, uh, to do you know, a local record. I'm in Toronto right now, and there's uh, some local players here that I'm going to hook up with, a band called Mets, and a couple of the fellows from that band are doing a side projects. So I'm going to help them out. So it's always nice to keep something going, something uh, in the neighborhood going. In regards to uh, more international projects, well... You know, that hasn't come to an end by any means. It just, uh, but sometimes they, uh, I got to be careful how I use my time, you know, to r- a record my take six months or a year and what does one want to do with one's life. So I'm presently, uh, <clears throat> for example, doing piano composition on the encouragement of a friend of mine who likes my piano playing. So it's become a whole new area of knowledge for me. And so I'm very excited about that right now. I'm working with Wayne Lorenz on this piano record, and uh there's nowhere I'd rather be uh It's all good with me you know the doesn't mean to say that we're not going to fly somewhere this time next year go to Italy and make some another um, unforeseen you know uh, very commercial project. but I'm hoping this heavy sun becomes a commercial project for the very reasons that you pointed out that you know. People have a hunger in these times to find something that <clears throat> might speak to them in a soulful manner or in a, 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 a manner of spirit, and um, so the you never know what's going to happen. So, uh,
0: yeah, I mean, I think it's such an interesting time to be in music because of because of all the isolation. I mean, and I do think people are, you know, there's a whole segment of the population that are um, collaborative creators and that have you know for the for the most part not been able to to do that I I wonder what the impact on music will be over the the coming years until we sort of find our way out of this for better or worse you know well
2: as long as we're limited to uh, to just recordings and composition then I think we're going to see A lot more of that, and I'm sure lovely things will come out of uh, times of restriction. Uh, You know, know, if we can't play live, then you know we still have the appetite to make music. It might mean that rather than than being on a bus on tour, that we're we're at uh, with a few mates and we're making uh, kind of a fresh batch of music. And I'm sure great things will come of that because people are smart and talented. (laughs) Let's talk a little
0: bit about the the mix process for you on Heavy Sun
2: most of the work was done in LA but uh, Wayne and I brought the recordings to Toronto uh, we got out of LA just before the uh, the peak in the graph of the pandemic and so a good many of the mixes were finished in Toronto um, and it's pretty interesting because I had the same console in LA uh, as, as the one here in Toronto Slightly different monitor system, and Wayne and I have found that we do better mixes here in Toronto. So <laughs> I got to re- have to readjust my uh, my monitoring system when I get back to Los Angeles. But uh, I wouldn't have thought that things would be that different. But I think we got the bottom end a little more together in Toronto. Um, what can I tell you about the mixing? You know, we uh, um, I do what I've always done. I print special effects as i go along if we if we stumble upon a, a dub or a, a repeat echo of some kind that's got some some fire in it well we print it onto the multi-track and it becomes a source ingredient so we don't wait for uh for mixing day to replicate sounds that we bumped into along the way we, we print them as we go
0: are you printing multiple performances of mixes uh I mean, that seems to be my sense: is that you're performing the mixes um, and then comping mixes together after the fact, or we have
2: done exactly that some of the time. You know, we might have a, an early mix that has a good vibe to it, but then the the, uh, the content has evolved. You know, maybe, maybe some of the lyrics have changed and so on. So, if we if we think that we laid something down that's got some some juice to it, uh, a habit that's good to get into is to uh, lay down an instrumental version of that same mix so that you know I can come back and replace other lyrics on top of something that had a cool vibe to begin with but yeah you know the the technique of mixing a bunch of mixes and then you might edit them together I've been doing that since I was a kid you know on, on quarter inch tape so it's not a new um it's not a new angle sure and uh, you know for example you might get fabulous mix but the intro is not as good as it was on the on the demo well we'll use the demo intro and glue it onto the body of the song that sort of thing
0: i hear the prime time of course featured featured uh in full force on this record um and i you know there's something about that that and i think it's probably why you use it that it has a level of a mind of its own at times and and some unpredictability and seems to be part of your workflow on many projects.
2: Well, the, uh, the theory behind it all is uh, whether it's a prime time or any other little sampler, uh, I, I, you know, I use a boomerang, I used a bunch of little cheap sampling devices, um, that we just sample an already existing component in the track, let's say the piano, and uh, now it lives in the little sampler. And we spit it back in to see if it makes sense uh, if it's a harmonic complement anyway so almost you can think of it as a uh, cut from the same cloth, but you know an enlargement or uh, an isolated position that it might has have pardon me um, so that's it that's the uh, whether one uses a, a prime time or any other little box that uh, allows you to grab a little sliver of something that you like and it's kind of surprising the uh, um, just you know, just by playing back a sample against the track, it's not going to be good all the way through, obviously. But there might be a couple of glorious moments, and then off we go. We print where the glory is.
0: <laughs> yeah, could you tell me a little bit about uh, dance on? Oh
2: yeah, dance on started out as a um, as a performance down at a dance club that my friend Carolina was doing a dance number. Her name's Carolina Cerisola, great dancer, from Argentina. And she had been invited to be um, a contributor to this night of dancing. You know, there were a dozen different artists doing uh, solo numbers or uh, one number per group, let's say. And she said, I don't know what to do. Do you have a song that, you know, maybe you can come down and play behind me? And, and I said, well, we've got a song called Dance On. And we went down, played it for her. She loved it. We we're part of the performance. She did a beautiful dance, and it's that, that actual performance that became the uh, the uh, the recording for the album. Um, but "Dance On" is based on a uh, on an old soul song called "Do Your Thing." And uh, refresh my memory: Who did Shaft? My God, what are we? Are we are we Sneil? Thank
1: Isaac you. Hayes.
2: So this is our our one of our co-writers on "Dance On" is Isaac Hayes. Thank you for the refresher. Um, because he had a song very similar uh, uh, but his, his his conclusive lyric line was uh, do your thing and our conclusive lyric line is don't let him take the joy away from you um, so it's based on an Isaac Hayes uh, song and we're very happy to have Isaac as one of our co-writers And uh, it's just a song that's got a lot of spirit in it and it kind of caught me by surprise and and I thought, well, how many uh, you feel you want to dance, that's one thing, and then you feel you want to teach, you want to love, um, you want to shout, you want to sing, dance on. So, or sing on. Um, and it, it's really just the message of the song, because Johnny Shepard wants a message in every song. The message of the song is not unlike what Stephen Wonder already told us a few years ago. Um, teachers keep on teaching till you reach the higher ground. So it's got a little bit of that in it philosophically. And uh, thank you, Isaac.
3: Dance all, you dance all, dance all.
2: Yeah. How about power? Power is a very simple song with a very simple message. It's just a reminder that any one of us has the capacity to get up and go and make a difference to one's own life, maybe to one street, to the neighborhood, to the city, to the world. So uh, people got the power, it's been said before. and that's it it's really just a reminder that we we have that capacity to take things to another place should we want to
0: Speaking to that, it just made me think of something. You know, when you when you've got a song that means something to you uh, lyrically and message-wise, how how are you approaching it in terms of what that's going to sound like? Because that's so important, and I think it's it's often overlooked. Like it's the the marriage of of sentiment to tone, and how important that is.
2: Well, sentiment and tone. Um... Let's go after Tone. Uh, you set a stage with Tone, and you could think of Tone as a welcome mat. You invite somebody to come in, and they're interested in the sonics. There's some kind of a an invitation to what they're hearing. And once they're there and they're comfortable with all that, then I think the lyrical um, message uh, has a chance to speak. But we, we like tone and we like the setting of a stage or create create a, a scene you know we're quite cinematic in our way of thinking of music making so isn't it nice when you transport a listener to a place so if the song is transporting us as recordists and as songwriters then we take that as a sign that it will do the same for a listener somewhere else later About tumbling stone tumbling stone uh, came to be uh, when we talked about leaving our homes because all of us had left our homes at a certain point to follow the direction of music and our recent uh, member Johnny Shepherd left Shreveport Louisiana he left the Zion Baptist Church to come and sing with us I said Johnny how did that feel um, he says well I left my home to wander as a pilgrim, I travel on, and we, and Johnny is also a minister, and he said, well, it's important for me to spread the gospel. I said, Johnny, this is an opportunity, and we can just talk about your own journey, and what it feels like to be on the move, as a reminder that a spirit lives outside of edifice, and so we wanted to we wanted the the traveling part of things to be part of the message.
3: A
0: angels watching um, you know and I I, I couldn't put my finger on it but I feel like I I finally did a little uh, detective work and I I went back to a record that you did with Robbie Robertson and there was something about uh, and I don't know if it was maybe like something like somewhere down the lazy river or something but angels watching somehow was like reminiscent of some you know something years ago that, that you did and and it really just felt like to me that tune feels like the south and swampy <laughs> and foggy yeah. and just like yeah. kind of humid you know
2: i like the imagery so. foggy and humid and and uh it does suggest a little bit of nighttime and i think that track has a little nighttime in it and and uh you know when coming up as kids we believed in fairies and maybe an angel would be watching over us and so it's nice to even as as an adult to imagine that before you step into a situation your guardian angel would tap you on the shoulder and provide you with a little bit of advice as to where you're going (laughs) so that's it you know angels watching that um, even in these fast times um, of technology isn't isn't it nice to think that there'd be somebody up there you know keeping an eye on you
3: (laughs) some angels watching over me all day all night got me some angels watching over me
0: Yeah, I mean, do you find that stuff creeping in? The childhood, you know, as as we become more sort of aware as we get older. At least personally, I find myself a little bit more reflective. I'm, you know, I don't have a foot in the grave yet, but it's interesting that you talk about childhood and and I and I was curious, like those that imagery and and you know, like you said, like pre technology and a, a time that we grew up we're so different i mean we did the kids did different things with their time um you know i was curious if that was was true for you you know as you go on with creating music writing music producing music you know how much of that stuff do you do you see showing up uh you know years on
2: i think childhood is always with us as a driving force um, we have to remember that we went into music because we heard something we loved and so the records I listened to as a kid really wanted me to, you know, maybe one day make a record like that. And so let's talk about childhood maybe as, uh, you know, those days of, those first days of inspiration. We talk about it here at the temple. Wayne Lorenz and I talk about what it was like when we got started in Toronto here. You know, we got to hear Muddy Waters and some of the jazz greats and uh, you know, I, I heard Sly and, the, Sly and the Family Stone, James Cotton, and people like that, and, and so those, my childhood years, involved the listening to some of the masters of the time, and think about that as a lesson outside of school. And so we always, we always go back to what we were excited about at one time, and may it never go away. Excitement should always, always be with us.
3: all night will take me from hurt harm and danger, Away from me
0: all day. All, day. all day your music is so pastoral and and has um, you know such a an evocative etherealness to it um, You know through through your mix techniques and and your tone of your guitar playing and your steel and it sounds like memories and and that's why i I ask and this has been true forever and i think it's what's kind of drawn me to them over the years and i think that we talked about this when we very first met when we did shows together uh you know we talked about that and and harold budd and 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 the pearl and and records like that and just how much visual association there was with your music. And um, some music really does that. And it really allows for the listener to, have a res- reflective uh, space and, and moment and to really visualize. You know, I just wanted to dig a little bit deeper on that in terms of painting pictures mm-hmm. with sound. Um, and, and maybe they're not even pictures that, you know, you're allowing me as a listener to have my own set of, uh, you know, uh, paint and paint. Well,
2: uh, listeners ultimately will interpret a song in a certain manner and uh, may it paint pictures for them within their own imagination um, but it, um, when we're in the studio that certainly comes up you know oh, it reminds me of th- uh, this kind of place or conjures up this kind of feeling and so we operate we're very emotional uh, people that way we respond to uh, what the music brings to us um, and so you, but it, you never know what it's going to be and that's the, the fun part of it all that you know we get started and Ooh, it seems to conjure up this kind of feeling, or it wants to go this direction, that one. Maybe it's more melodic, maybe it's uh, textural, and so on. So the we let the music tell us what to do, and it usually tells us right. <laughs> when you start bucking the, yeah. uh, the natural process, and things get all screwed up. <laughs> Yeah, I mean
0: that's a that's a good point. I mean, you have to be willing to be told what to do in a in a way and have a two-way conversation with you know what you're being presented with or or whatever. But um
2: well, and and how how lucky are we that uh you know we can change the course of a, of a day's work at any point if something happens to come our way perhaps as a as a sidebar or a byproduct of something else that we're laboring over if something comes our way and it seems to oh, who would have thought you know it's pushing things melodically in this direction, we can change um the course of the day. we're not operating by complicated architectural drawings here we we get to fly by the feet, seat of our pants a bit, so that's what that's the beauty of record making that you you can make a quick shift. you can turn the boat around in a minute. <laughs>
0: And I think it's also worth noting that, like, the the things that over time that the tools that we work with, I know I don't love talking about the and placing a ton of importance on a specific piece of gear, but you know, there are things that we've come across in our, in our music making that feel like they're integrate, you know, integral to the process. I know that that's true for, for you as well with, with your tools.
2: Well, What can we say about that? You know, uh, I like to use the photographic analogy that we keep our old lenses no matter what medium we might move into. We have favorite pieces of equipment that we still use, obviously with microphones, you know, you might use a certain kind of uh, microphone on a trombone, you know, a nice ribbon mic, for example. And just because it's fast times doesn't mean to say that we throw out the ribbon mic. It happens to be an American classic. Uh, like an RCA is what I'm speaking of, maybe a 44 or a 77. Those are beautiful, they were beautiful then and they are today. And so, um, but we move with technology as well, obviously. You know, we're we're on a digital format here and so we can make copies of multi-tracks pretty quick. But I, I still limit myself to uh, 24 tracks. That's enough, any more than that. And I might get lost in the woods.
0: I wasn't speaking so much of like as to the new versus the old as I was to just things that that are basically members oh, of yeah. the band.
2: Okay, well we uh, we get used to a certain set of equipment, and probably the best thing we can do with um, at any given time with the equipment that we're excited about is make a few records, and then they will uh, they will represent. Uh, that moment in time, you know, what we were most excited about, approaches, and so on. That's what I like about listening to my works from the past. I don't do things in the same way anymore, so it's something kind of sweet to be exposed to the, you know, the naive record-making time of that, of that of that chapter and we're always naive I mean it's you can't go into the studio thinking boy I'm gonna be naive today no we're, <laughs> we're excited about things we do things in a certain way but five years down the road you might say oh we don't do that anymore isn't it nice that we captured it was brought to conclusion and, and something nice came out of it that represents uh, the spirit of the time
0: how about Under the Heavy Sun
2: Under the Heavy Sun um, started out as um, um, it was basically a, only the lead vocal and then we came up with the, the harmony uh, work so hard work so hard on the road and it's it's about uh, it the more we wrote the more lyrics we wrote the more it seemed to become a song about a strange uh, drive with no particular place to go you know you got your arm out the door and the, the night air is blowing through your uh, your hair and and uh it's a release it's a way away from pressure let's say and it's it's got surrender in it and it's got the future in it that's what i like the most about it um wayne uh, who's playing drums is that Carl? Kyle playing drums on that. Kyle Crane played drums on that, and again, we cut it to a beatbox, and so we were able to um, overdub Kyle on top of that, and you know, we fiddled around with his with his groove, and I think we got to a very interesting place with the groove. But it's um, oh, here's an interesting. Uh, that's someone I redid the bass on the organ with. Is it? Yeah, we we had done. Um, Jim Wilson had played a uh, regular bass, you know. Um, four string bass and these couple of the chords of the song changed so I had to redo the bass when I got to Toronto and I used um, my old uh, Lowry organ. Um, it's an old tube organ from the 60s and got a, I'm quite proud of that little bass sound, you know, and it, it, uh, it scoots along very nicely kind of giving it a little a bit of a walking feeling. It's all part of the journey. <laughs>
3: Under the heavy sun Look at the reader standing in the stand Tell me what's in her hand She said come on to the shack, part. Cause there ain't no turning back And you can call your friends, she told me To tell them to check their egos at the door Oh yeah, cause everything is jumping over here.
0: You know, I always love talking to you about uh, about uh, dub mixing, and um, why why has this endured for you as something that's stuck and become so integral to your process? Because I hear it, and so much, um, I hear the little hints, so even if it's subtle. You know, it's like it's become part of what you do
2: yeah i mean i'll revisit something i said a a little earlier in our conversation that um, surprises come our way every day in the studio like a a little unexpected harmonic explosion and and it's often something like that that will um, cause me to uh, write a new melody or a new support role to the melody and i'm not the kind of composer that Writes up charts and imagines what everything's going to sound like uh, by putting it down on paper. No, we we compose in the studio, and so we we definitely leave ourselves open to these little surprises. And in fact, you know, there's one that I, I hit on when when you and I are finished here, Jeff. I'm going to go to the console and carry on with the what I started with Wayne Lorenz last night. This piano piece. And sure enough, it's one of those you know, oh, who would have thought the the bridge seems to be asking for something fresh, better than what was laid out on the uh on the blueprint <laughs> and so the um it's these little twists and turns that often lead us to unexpected places that you know where the best stuff lives. <laughs>
0: Are there other things that you do? I mean, I agree completely. I, I recently have got gotten into modular synthesis and sitting down at the rack and just starting to plug, you know, plug stuff in and move cables around. And, you know, it's just stuff that I would never come up with on my own. And, you know, after you've been doing it for long enough, I mean, we hope that that wellspring of inspiration and ideas continues to flow, but it's often nice to be, mm. you know, Shown, shown the way. <laughs> um, are there other things that that you do that spark that same sort of inspiration and element of surprise?
2: We're constantly on the lookout for uh, new instruments. Um, in fact, I have a, an old instrument arriving from Montreal in the next few days. You know, just purchased a nineteen sixty six Fender Rhodes. Um, one of those with the cabinet underneath. So, looking forward to that because as I listened to a Harold Budd record that Eno uh, and I made called *The Pearl*, some of that was done on a Fender Rhodes, and I thought, oh, it's such a beautiful sound. Maybe we should get that going again. So, there's you know, an old dog coming coming into the studio here in the next few days, and I'm sure we'll find something in its bell-like sound that will make its way to this piano record that I'm working on. So we we like surprises, we like excitement. Um, uh, I'm treating uh, the acoustic piano that we have here, treating the the bottom end because uh, I like the piano a lot, but the the bass end seemed to be too much like bang bang, too too aggressive, too round wound sounding. So Wayne, uh, you know, developed a little system for me that allows that for the hammers to first hit a almost a cheesecloth or a little damper before it hits the string. So um, the bottom end of my piano now has a little more Jamaica in it than it did before. <laughs> so we get excited <laughs> about simple ideas like this, plus the bass is now half the volume that it was. It means that then the upper harmonics have a chance to shine through a little better. So it's, and it's turned out to be a very inspiring and, and unusual sound. that uh, uh, I'm sure conventional piano voicers would... would uh, would not believe, that they would not agree with this at all. But I drive home after work at my Crown, my police Crown Vic, and I listen to a couple of different hip hop stations and I hear things on there that, oh my goodness, how'd they ever do that? And some great harmony singing too, including the, the new 50 Cent single, Got a, got a nice vibe to it. Great bottom end and a sweetness to his voice. That reminded me of some of what I liked about the, the tone in Shuggy Otis's voice from the 70s. I had not heard that in 50 Cent's mm. voice, so I was very, uh, very pleased to make that little timbre discovery for myself. But uh, I hear things on that hip-hop station. Unfortunately, I don't have a digital display of who who they're playing, so it's it's all. Half the time, I don't even know who the artists are. But I'm hearing some some breakthrough sounds on those records. I've been jealous a couple of times.
0: (laughs) Maybe we should just uh, wrap it up with you telling me what you like about the Crown Vic.
2: The Crown Vic starts every time. It's got a great heater. Um, I have a Crown Vic (laughs) in L.A. as well. It's got a great air conditioner. Uh, (laughs) You get it for five grand. And uh, they stopped making them in... I think ten years ago, so dealing with a little bit of an old car. But uh, uh, a friend of mine, Teresa, in LA, she got hers for twenty five hundred bucks, and it's never let her down. So there you go, the recycling.
0: And then, it, and then if somebody sees you, they, you know, they go, "Hey, I think that's that's uh, Daniel Lanois, but they'll be like, "Nah, that couldn't be." Well, no, the they Crown see pit. me. I
2: think I'm undercover. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh man now that's a whole other story the secret life of of uh
1: mr yeah, detective mr. Lanois. thanks for listening find us online at tapepop.com, facebook twitter and instagram until next time